The first scripture is Luke chapter 9, verses 29 to 36. While Jesus was praying, his face began to change. His clothes became shining white. Then two men were there talking with him. They were Moses, Elijah. They also looked bright and glorious. They were talking with Jesus about his death that would happen in Jerusalem. Peter and the other were asleep, but when they wake up, they saw the glory in Jesus. They also saw two men was standing with him. When Moses and Elijah were leaving, Peter said, Master, that's good that we are here. We will put three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While Peter was saying these things, the cloud came all around them. Peter, John, Peter, John, and James were afraid when cloud covered them. A voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son. He is one and I have chosen. Obey him. When the voice stopped, only Jesus was there. Peter, John, and James said nothing. And for a long time after that, they told no one about what they had seen. The second is Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. Love never failed, but where there are prophesies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will still. Where there knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in a part and we prophesy in a part. But when perfection comes, the imperfection disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but the poor reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in a part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully unknown. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Good morning, everyone, or afternoon, or evening, or whenever you're watching this. Uh, as I begin, or be, I don't know, before I begin, as I begin, uh, I just, I do want to make, say a couple of things, I guess, about Canada Day and uh, the moment that our country um, is in, and um, you know, I think like a lot of us, I watch some of those clips from that one a Canadian Catholic priest who kind of talked, tried to talk about the good things that came out of the residential school system. So I just want to take a moment to say uh, on behalf of Spring Garden leadership that, uh, well, you know what, I mean, I mostly say it, I didn't check with the leadership first, so I'm going to trust that they're in line with this, but just that that's deplorable. <laughs> and um, uh, more, more ignorant than deplorable, I suppose, but... Um, there's nothing good that came from the residential school systems. Um, 
Yeah. And so uh, as we come to uh, this uh, coming up to Canada Day, um, you know, a lot, there's a lot of, you like everything these days, it's really divided as people are fighting on both sides, either complete cancel or, or not. Um, I think all I can say is that as we think about this week, uh, about Canada Day, we need to come to it with an awareness that everything that we are thankful for here in Canada, and this is whether you are, have only been in the country for a short time, or if you are, you know, third generation, uh, non-Aboriginal person, um, everything we are thankful for in Canada has come at great cost. And that cost is measured in blood of the Turtle Islands Indigenous peoples. And so uh, we need to take that with us into Canada Day. So do we thankful for that this is a safe country for so many people to come and find refuge from across the world? Yes. Do we be thankful for the beauty, the beauty that we have, uh, for um, the rights that we have, for um, the striving for equality, all these things? Do we be thankful? Yes, we be thankful. But with the recognition um, that it comes at great expense, uh, and it came through sin and death, had played a huge role. So what do we do with that? I can't tell you what to do with that, uh, except that whenever we come to places of thanksgiving in Canada in these days, we need to uh, be honest and open to, to how what we have came to us. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to say that for now, and we'll touch on a little bit more as we talk, but um, anyway, yeah, so there's, there's that. But, uh, yeah. As you can tell, this is hard cause for me because there's a, there's a, anyway, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go with, we're going to talk about those passages that were, uh, that were uh, read for us. Um, now, the story, the first story that was read uh, is the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And this is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. Part of why I love it is because it's somewhat bizarre, uh, yet it's a really powerful way in which God the Father affirms Jesus. God not only affirms Jesus as the Son of God, but by having Jesus talking with Moses, who represents God's voice through the law, and Elijah, who represents God's voice through the prophets, by having Jesus talking with them while he's glowing all white on top of a mountain, and there's that bizarre part, God is affirming Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the fulfillment of the entire history and, and longings of the Jewish people, the full voice of God to the people of God as the beloved Son of God. And for those who like theological and biblical reflection, it's a great kind of geeking out story for pondering uh, these things. However, as much as I like it for what it portrays of the divine and of Jesus, who is divine, uh, even more so, I like this story because of what it says about humanity and about Peter specifically in his response. Here you have this, it's a literal mountaintop experience where Jesus and three of his friends are praying on top of a mountain. 
And then all of a sudden, the appearance of Jesus, his face changes, his clothes become bright as a flash of lightning. And the two great heroes of the Jewish faith appear in this glorious splendor beside Jesus and they start chatting. And Peter, who like the other two disciples, he was sleepy. And it seems like Peter regularly had this problem of staying awake in prayer. Uh, he's praying. He's literally in the physical presence of God and Jesus. And he still can't ever stay awake when he's praying. So hopefully we can find, feel a little bit better about the ways that we have trouble not falling asleep sometimes when we're saying our prayers. Anyways, rubbing the sleep from his eyes, seeing this bizarre but glorious spectacle before him, what is Peter's response? And his response is, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter is essentially saying, Jesus, being here like this is good. This is good. It's beautiful. It's desirable to be here like this. So let's set up some tents. I'll set up one for each of you. And and that way you can all stay here like this. And I love how this verse ends with Peter didn't know what he was saying. The message translation says he blurted this out without thinking. There aren't many spots in the Bible where the writers say of one of the great heroes of the faith, oh, just ignore him. He's, well, he's, he didn't really know what he was talking about. It's easy to read the story and think, Peter, what a clown. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we likely have all had experiences in life where something amazing or wonderful is happening, and we think, oh, I wish this would just go on forever. And I bet most of us had tried to set up tents of our own, trying to stay or live in that space, that beautiful, uh, wonderful space, or trying to get back to that space. I remember a few years ago having um, a profound moment with God. Uh, There's this Ignatian retreat center in Pickering called Manresa uh, that I like to go to from time to time. In fact, I've had many profound moments of, with God in that place. And the retreat center for me is a thin place. It is a place where I have had experiences of meeting with God in a way that felt like the distance between heaven and earth collapsed. And I found myself rooted in the earth yet present with the God of heaven. When I go, I usually go for two or three nights at a time. And one of the times I went there, I had spent close to 24 hours praying and reading, wandering around the facilities and through the beautiful uh, river valley behind their property. And at the time, I was in a very dry period of my faith. I had gone on retreat desperately seeking God's presence and voice. But after 24 hours, I still felt more distant from God than ever. And I was wondering, what on earth, what am I doing in this place? Why am I away from my family uh, for this time? I was preparing in my heart just to pack it up and go home. You see, the previous time I had gone to the retreat center, I had had a thin place experience of meeting God through what's called a walking labyrinth that they have on site. Uh, Here's a picture of, uh, of the walking labyrinth at this place. Uh, For those of you who um, 
are not familiar with this spiritual practice, uh, contrary to popular opinion, a labyrinth is not actually a maze. In fact, it is the opposite of a maze. There is only one path, and that path leads you surely to the center. There are no choices. The only choice is you to keep walking, and you will get to the middle. And, uh, but as you can see in this picture, like life, the pathway actually twists and turns. Sometimes you feel like you're almost at the center, and then the path turns and twists, and you find yourself on the outer edge, and you wonder if you'll ever get there. But if you follow it, you will surely find your way to the center. A walking prayer labyrinth is designed as a physically centered spiritual practice of moving inwards, with all of the twists and turns and doubts and unknowns, moving inwards towards Jesus at the center. Then in the same way that Jesus calls us surely into himself, afterwards we walk the winding path back out, sent with Jesus' presence out into the world. Anyways, my previous experience of walking the labyrinth had been a deeply and profoundly intimate experience of God's presence, in this thin place for me. I'd built a tent there. Well, not a literal tent, of course, but in my heart, I had built a tent there. I had set up a dwelling place that I was hoping to be able to return to and see the transfigured Christ once again. And so, in my dryness and desperation, 24 hours into what felt like a fruitless retreat, I wanted to meet God in that same space, in that same way. And I began by laboriously praying to God for him to meet me. And I very slowly and prayerfully, I took my time walking through very meditatively and focused and, you know, clenched fists and furrowed brow, you know, like a good spiritual person. Trying to force my heart to open to God and begging God to meet me there. But this time, nothing had come out of it. In fact, I remained at the labyrinth for, I think, like an hour and a half, frustrated and angry that God hadn't met with me there in the way that he had in the past. I stood in the middle of that labyrinth trying to force God to meet with me, to say or do something that I could recognize as the Spirit's moving, and nothing. Nothing. The tent I had set up for the transfigured Christ was empty. And I realized that like Peter, my desire to force God to meet with me in the same way as before was to contain God and ask him to stay in one place. And I didn't know what I was thinking. My previous experience of God in that place had been so meaningful and transcending, it had opened my heart to a new way of experiencing God. But even while I was broadened in my awareness of how God can and will meet with me, it was like I was li living in a small one-room house and that I had like torn down part of a wall to add, you know, a little bit more space, you know, maybe the size of a small closet. But now I was open to God filling that space and working in that way, but I was still limiting God to that small space and I was expecting him to kind of stay in that space or at least return to that space whenever I went to it. Not only that, but I was expecting God to do the exact same thing in that exact same space. And while my heart was genuine, and I believe that God is gracious to, was gracious to me in it, um, I was treating God like a one-hit wonder. 
You know those bands that only have one really great song? I, was, I thought about saying some examples, and then I realized, though, that probably every band I can think of that I think they only have one good song, there's going to be someone out there who actually likes the rest of their, the rest of their stuff. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. It's too personal, but, but you know what I mean. Hopefully you know what I mean. If you don't, maybe Google One Hit Wonder and you'll get, get some good songs come up. Um, sorry, I totally lost my place. So God had released, so like a one hit wonder, God had released this amazing song in my life and I wanted to replay it over and over again. I wanted, to meet, I wanted God to meet with me in the exact same way he did the first time that I had heard the song. And what's more, I wanted to be the one who controlled when I pressed play, when I hit repeat, when I skipped ahead. But not realizing it, I wanted, and this is cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway, I wanted to be the DJ that controlled the songs that God sung over me. And I wanted each time I heard the song to be completely transported back to that place I, first, I was when I first heard it. So, but instead of that happening, wanting the same experience or hearing the song for the first time, I felt instead that I was hearing the song kind of through dollar store headphones. Or worse, I was listening to a terrible cover version being played through a wall on the other side. But what I didn't realize is that God is not a one-hit wonder. In fact, when I was able to remember that God had actually met with me before, to look back and to remember other thin places at other times in my life, I was able to hear again the other songs that God had sung over me, like pulling out you know, the old mixtape or CD or, or you know, playlist. Each song brought me back to that place that I had heard it, not in the way I had it for the first time, but in a way that reminded me of those times and places, the thoughts and feelings. So standing in this labyrinth, desperately wanting God to meet me in the way he had before, something I didn't realize in that moment was not only is God not a one-hit wonder, and not only that God has, does have kind of a greatest hits playlist of his presence in my life, that can remind me of his goodness to me. But that God still has so many songs that he is writing and singing that I haven't even heard yet. And perhaps some of those songs that I haven't heard yet are actually the best ones that are yet to come. I know for myself, and I imagine you may relate to this as well, it can be a struggle for me to open up to God, to meeting, for God meeting me in ways beyond what I have personally experienced. When God meets with me in a surprising and wonderful new way, I want to set up tents and stay there, yet I can be cynical when I hear how God has met with others when their experience or their theology doesn't match up with my own. And I think part of this is that we see what we have been trained to see. Everything in our consumer culture trains us to see the fullness of life in the newest gadget, individual rights over the safety or well-being of others. Even in our faith traditions, we have expectations where we expect God will act or speak. And so we put limitations, 
So we have expectations of where God will act and speak, but because of it, we actually place limitations on how God can act and speak if it's outside of those ways. In the second passage that we heard read for us from 1 Corinthians, there were these divisions in the church, one of which was about the place of what we today often call charismatic gifts, specifically speaking in tongues and having prophecies. Sadly, this division still continues today. And Paul, the author, validates these experiences of the Holy Spirit. Even though not everyone was having them, they were still to be a gift for the whole church. But even in validating them, Paul writes this, Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection, as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. These charismatic places uh, of the way the Holy Spirit was moving in people were wonderful and uplifting and were meant to be gifts that encouraged the whole church. Experiences that some of us today would find hard as seeing from God. What we see, we have been trained to see. And some of us have been trained to see these as wonderful, and others have been trained to see them with suspicion. We judge each other by what they, what they are missing, while we miss out on what they have. Because it's hard for us to welcome or expect something different than what we know or have been trained to see. And hence, we go back to what we know, and every time we have an out-of-the-ordinary experience, while it broadens us in some respects, we still just want to go back to it. And positively to relive it or experience God in the same way, but negatively, we now simply have a new limit on God's working Yet even all of our experiences of these thin places of meeting with God in transcending and transforming ways, they are but a shadow. As Paul says, they are only reflections in a mirror. And first century mirrors were not like our mirrors uh, that, they, that give off perfect reflected images. It would be more like seeing your face reflected in water or off of the windows of a subway as it speeds through the dark tunnels with the flickering and passing lights. In Faith's story, she shared a number of these thin places in her life, in nature, at, at her haven, in times of prayer, and not only places, but times of day. Faith shared how early in the morning is a thin place for her. Now, myself, I am not a morning person. Anyone who knows me well knows that I don't function well in the morning. So while my thin places don't resonate with faith's near sunrise's thin places, hearing her speak of it did bring to mind how many times the hours of dusk have been a thin space for me. The beautiful colors of sunsets flashing pinks and purples across the clouds. 
The sense of peace as I pause with others to enjoy the brief but glorious beauty of the moment. The way the sun-setting moments bring a sense of fulfillment after a rich and fruitful day. Or oppositely, at the end of an exhausting, stressful, or defeating day, the pause and the reminder of the beauty that remains even in a hard world is centering and restorative. Even if for a few brief moments, grounding me in the reality of the beauty of color and clouds and light and trees and peace. All of the beauty we encounter in the world is a gift from God. Wherever there is love, there is God. Wherever there is joy, there is God. Wherever there are moments of peace, hope, restoration, reconciliation, there is God. Yet even in the beauty of these transcendent moments, they are but shadows. Even the best that we experience are dim reflections of the completeness, the wholeness, the beauty and the life that is yet to come. C.S. Lewis once wrote, When little moments of life, like the way the light falls on a summer evening, stir you with deep longing that's hard to define, you don't look to earthly pursuits to fill the void. Instead, allow the ache to push you deeper in your relationship with God. Even when we open ourselves to the possibility of God meeting us in ways beyond our experience, even when we are surpassed by moments of peace and joy and hope and faith, these are still but a foretaste of the fullness of life that is ours in Jesus. And while these moments in and of themselves are gifts from God to receive and to hold on to, they are not simply meant to be good things to be consumed solely pleasure for ourselves in those moments or in those memories. They're not meant to be places where we build tents and we stay hiding on mountaintops awaiting their return. They are meant to be gifts to fill us and lift us. So yes, we receive and enjoy those God-given moments of peace, joy, calm, jubilation, charisms. But instead of trying to set up tents and live there, Allow them as shadows of what is to come to lead us deeper into seeing Jesus. And then to stand back, or to, and then to send us back down the mountain to live out in faith, hope, and love with a new song in your heart. The prophet Zephaniah says, God takes great delight in you and rejoices over you with singing. There are many thin places in your lives where God has met with you where God longs to meet with you. And these places can be great gifts given in God's grace and great, given in his great delight in you. So let us hold on to the truth of this hope that God has met with us in the past. Even if you have not yet seen these moments for what they are, God longs for you to look back through the eyes of his spirit to see his presence with you. To hold on to the truth of this hope that God indeed sings new songs over us. That God longs for us to open our hearts and minds and souls and bodies. To hear these new songs in ways beyond our expectation and experience. But also to hold on the truth that God longs for us to be sent by the Spirit into the world. Living in faith that God loves the world. Hope that even the greatest beauty we see is but a shadow of what is to come. And in love that surpasses knowledge that never fails. We 
Um, we see what we have been trained to see. And, you know, as a child who grew up in Canada, uh, I was trained to see just the beauty of Canada, uh, the beauty of our forefathers. I think many of us were trained to see uh, the beauty that's around us. Um, But we've missed, as a collective in Canada, I think, that God, uh, that the beauty is marred uh, by our history with the, our, with the Aboriginal people of Turtle Island. Um, God has these great gifts for us, but they are not meant to be consu- simply consumed or to be narcissistic places to keep us comfortable. They are meant to send us in faith, hope, and love. And as those who love God, we need to become increasingly comfortable with repentance and with sorrow and with mourning. Many of us have been trained to see that the sins against, like the residential school systems, are sins of other people and of the past. And because we've been trained to see that, we can't see the holistic way that everything we enjoy is interwoven with our history. And so in this moment, as we receive gifts of beauty from God, we need to also go, come off of our mountaintops and to seek true reconciliation. To turn away from systems uh, that are the opposite of love and faith and hope. I think this is the time, I mean, the, 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 the truth and reconciliation a document came out in 2015, six years. So what we're going through now, there's literally nothing new about it. We've known this as a country since 2015. Well, before that, but it is a reawakening. How many calls of waking up do we need as a country? And I think this moment God is calling us to wake up to reflect on the beauty of the gifts of what we have here, but to wake up and to be honest and to be be thankful but also repentant as a collective, as a church, as a country, turning away from the death and the sin on which our country is built and turning towards faith, hope, and love of reconciliation, of seeking Um, forgiveness, but of giving up of self to fulfill some of those recommendations of the the truth and reconciliation, whatever, all the different ways that this looks like. Um, I think this is God giving us yet another chance to wake up, to take all the places where we have seen and met with him, to inspire us and to lead us into a new way of being as Canadians and as Christians. Christians in Canada. Um, let's let's uh, pray. God, uh, as we are about to sing, what do we have if we don't have you, Jesus? And we know that in Canada, and I think that's true in many countries around the world, 
um, that we have taken this truth of the fullness of life in Jesus and we, it has been used for all kinds of atrocities. So as we sing, what can we, what do we have if we don't have you? Lord, we want to sing this and pray this not just as some way of delighting in you for our own pleasure, but in a way that will send us with you into the world, into our country. Help us to see the places where you are not present. That we may be humble enough to enter into them with life and with hope and with reconciliation. With faith, with hope, and with love. Amen.